What's up, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Antler Up podcast. We want to stay on schedule, even though myself, Dimitri, and Tim are out in Utah hunting some mule deer. Uh, we have a fun episode here for you. This is uh, coming at you from a couple weeks ago when Dimitri, Tim, and I got together on a weekend and we shot our bows. We made sure everything was gearing up for uh, this trip that we're actually on right now. And uh, man, I can't believe that we this day is finally here. It's something that I've been looking forward to pretty much my whole life as far as once I started getting into hunting. And hopefully we have some luck. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And till next time, Antler Up. Just want to say a big thank you to all the continued support from all of you as well as to our partners. Please go check them out. They're amazing people, amazing groups, and amazing amazing organizations over there. Uh, check them out over on our, our partners page over at antlerupoutdoors.com. And everybody, thank you again so much for, for listening and for the support. Until next time, Antler Up. Check one. Good hear him. Good. Yep. Good. Sweet. All right, so we are live. We're actually here in Dimitri's kitchen at area, I guess you could call it, dining room. We got Tim Seasocks here in person. <laughs> so if you guys don't know who Tim is, make sure to check out episode three. We are actually just got back from a hike. It's raining right now. And uh, man, we are, it's July 11th. We're getting ready for, for Utah. Yeah, I just looked. It's less than a month. That's why I think it crept up on us. I think we had like two, three months out and trying to just get the gear going. And then it's like, bang, a month and a half and we're out there. And now it's almost a month. It's crazy coming fast. Yeah. I just, you know, talking of all our conversation, what we were saying, the one thing out of all of this that I love the most has been getting the gear ready, like being a gear junkie, like just knowing what gear I could get. Um, but the good news is too, for, I mean, Tim, obviously, but for, for us, we didn't need so much of the gear to get ready for it. You know what I mean? Like little things here and there, but you know, you've got a jet boil. I already had one getting the tents. You are, we have both had them. So the main thing was getting the pack and, uh, some other little nitbits, but it's just been, that's been fun for me being a gear junkie. I've became a, a gear junkie over the last few years <laughs> after doing this, yeah. um, Never thought I would. Never was really into it prior to hunting out west. And now once you realize that you survive off of what you have in your pack, it's, it becomes an important you know, asset to have in your arsenal. Well, that's what I even think we went camping last weekend and just trying to practice with the jet boil and, and make some coffee. I mean, it's just kind of cool, you know, that aspect that you're out in the, you can be in the middle of the woods and make yourself a cup of coffee if you have some water and, you know, the black rifle instant packs and just cool going to be living off the land. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to be out there. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Well, what, uh, what have you been doing, Tim, recently? What have you been up to? Well, let's see. Um, aside from work um, and thinking Wait, about you're, this, you, one. You're, you're still working <laughs> <laughs> through COVID and all of it, man. Haven't slowed down. Um, so I know we talked before. I fletched my own arrows for this trip and got a saddle for my birthday. Um, just unbelievable, like how it's going to change the game. Like I'm not like completely sold on on every aspect of it, but. Um, I definitely see where the advantages are. So been kind of fooling around with that around the house and hoping to get out and 
test that out, test the steps out. And, um, other than that, as for, as far as getting ready for this trip, I think it's, you know, um, number one is trying to really narrow down logistics, um, narrow down a plan. Um, if you don't go in with a plan, you don't have nothing in my opinion. Right. Um, I noticed you, you know, for doing this for several years that having multiple plans is the way to go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I'm still kind of in awe here that it's like less than a month away till we leave. So I haven't really, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little behind the eight ball, let's put it that way. I, I need to be more disciplined with shooting my bow. I'm not, uh, I don't know. I'm like a five arrow flinger once a week type deal well, and that's we, about it we're not all as lucky as dimitri with a nice 100 plus yard backyard <laughs> <laughs> you know last night i came up dropped off on a friday some some extra arrows for him and he's out shooting i'm like man i got a garage yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's the perfect thing my my son goes to bed at 7 30 so i have an hour and a half of light left so as soon as i put him to bed i go outside throw my targets up and shoot for about an hour so i've been trying to do that at least every night or every other night and stretch them out i've been kind of trying to push it back to 80 um just to get comfortable at further distances so i think i'm doing pretty good i just got to kind of narrow that group down a little bit and be a little bit more consistent yeah well what's good too about shooting at 7 30 at night is you're hitting off the it's cooler out right now you're hitting the getting prepared for utah so longer distance shooting, all that stuff. But then also, too, it's that prime shooting life for whitetail. So you're getting all three of those things all in at once, which is good. Yeah, I agree. Um, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not as disciplined lately. So <laughs> I, was, I was hoping at the fact that I built these arrows from scratch that uh, it'll try to, you know. Motivate get, you a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, motivate me into shooting a little bit more. And Well, what bow are you shooting? Uh, right now I have the Prime Logic. So I think this is my third year shooting that, and I'm completely sold I'm not even kidding. Like it's just beyond anything I had before. I, I've shot Bowtech for quite a few years. Um, I was really when I started going out west. I was really all for the whole lightness to the bow. And if I'm going to carry this all day, I want it to be one and a half pounds. I mean that's impossible. But um, you know, I was my my bow was literally sub four pounds for a while. Um, I even went to a pack quiver where I was carrying my arrows on my pack. Um, and usually, if I was stocking elk or going through the woods, like still hunting style. I was, I had one knocked and I'm just trying to be very minimalist with it. And since then, um, I started to develop, um, a torquing, uh, issue. Uh, I never really had issues with trigger punching or anything like that, which right. I was, um, grateful for. Um, so like when people talk about that, I can't relate to it. Yeah. Um, I've never, I feel like I've never punched a trigger in my life, thankfully. Um, but I did have a torquing issue, um, so I actually just went, got rid of the bow, and stepped up the weight a little bit in the bow. So the the bow is in at like four, over four pounds, so just the bare bow actually weighed more than what my entire bow weighed prior Jeez. to. So, so that was a big difference, and uh, it actually really helped stabilize my shot. And uh, I love I love that bow. I don't know. I don't foresee myself ever changing for like the next five years for sure. That's awesome. Well, I know. I mean, we've had a couple people on that have shot prime before. And I know, I know Bill with Pertinier Outdoors, he loves his prime. It just seems like a solid bow. Yeah. Company uh, in general. Yeah. I actually waited. They were, they came out, you know, quite a few years now, uh, quite a few years ago now. Um, but 
this was the first split limb that they brought out. Yeah. And I haven't shot a split limb until like go back into my, my late teens when I had a Hoyt. Yeah. And uh, I was a big fan of them then and went to the single limb, the solid limb, and now back to the split limb. And I don't know, it just feels good in your hand. I like the, the whole science and technology behind it. They really dumbed it down more or less. And, um, yeah, no issues. Sweet. <laughs> well, we are uh, – the one thing, too, that I want to just talk about is right now is the bread and butter of trail cameras. You guys both put them out. I have some out back at home. I, Demetri, we got we got to put some more out over here. Yeah, I mean, got two out, uh, one kind of closer to the house here just to try to see what's around, and that's more just for observation, obviously, because we go way further back than, we, than right behind the house, but... Got some further down. There was that one ridge that we 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 saw postseason that looked really good, and and put one up there just to see if there's a little bit more activity. Just because around that area we kind of lost some of the deer once season came in, and didn't know where they quite went, and did a little bit of scouting. I found a shed on that that ridge, and and saw some good trails, and actually kicked a bunch of deer out um, after the muzzleloader season in February. So. Have one down there and excited to see, you know, starting to see some velvet bucks, you know, even dri- driving on the road. So getting pretty excited about the season. Yeah. Tim, what you got going on with for trail cameras and stuff? So this year I actually really invested pretty heavy into them. Um, I think I only ran maybe four to five cameras in years past. And this year I doubled that. Nice. Um, so I really built my arsenal up. And uh, right now I only have one out, but just put it out this week. But the plan um, is really to use those for my intel this year. I didn't really um, – I, I really went off of um, past experience in a lot of the public areas that I hunt. Um, there's Like the buck I killed last year, I only had three pictures of him, and it was like two and a half months prior to me actually right. sticking him. So um, I never really um, put all my chips in on trail cameras, um, but this year with the way – uh, things are looking and just changing my style around a little bit and trying to uh, put myself out on uh, several different public properties. Um, so I moved about a year ago a little deeper into the Poconos, and my plan is now to try and uh, try and really figure out some areas out there to add to um, the public ground that I hunt currently. So we've been seeing a lot of deer um, just driving up and down the, the main route there, a lot of good buck, so um, I got a camera out there initially, and I plan on investing a little more time there. But um, this year, I definitely uh, have changed gears um, as far as how much I use a trail camera for right, intel right. and how I'm going to hunt it. And now with the the, the ability to use the saddle, um, I'm not stuck to you know having a tree stand here or there, or even stuck to where I can get a climber or not. So. Well, I think, too, what's going to help with the saddle is when you have that opportunity where if you are in an area and you've got footage from a deer coming and he's maybe not there, but you set up another camera where you have footage of him, you have the ability to quickly get up and down and go right up in another tree during the same hunt where that's, you could still do that, obviously, if on a hang and bang and type of ordeal, but it's a little bit more trickier than just climbing right up and put, setting up in the saddle. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and you know, speaking about the buck that I shot last year, um, understanding that I still had, this is a huge, vast public area, but understanding that I had a trail camera set up in one area, 
I hunted for the first time on November 2nd and shot this buck at least 600 yards from where the trail camera was, right. you know, never really even stepping foot in there. I looked at some, uh, aerial photos and some topographic maps of that area and was like, this looks like a good bench. And just so happens that that buck walked in and, um, but those kinds of things going into it. Um, I know I did struggle a little bit trying to find the right tree in the right position to get onto this bench and with the saddle that kind of takes that out of it. Right now, are you setting them up on, on benches? Like where, where's your main, or is it just like finding sign and thinking this could be a decent spot? So I'm a, I'm a trail heavy person and it's something that doesn't really get spoken about on yeah. social media. Everyone's on the buck bed craziness yeah. and whatever food plots. I don't know. I don't, I don't invest my time in it. Um, so I'm a, I'm a trail can a trail junkie in the fact that, um, I'm looking for transition areas. Yep. Um, and a lot of the transition areas are in, in and out of bedding areas. Um, there's specific areas that I really map out where I will not ever step foot in them. Um, maybe in March, um, after the season, there was actually one area where I really wanted to put a camera, but I kind of felt like it was going to be a, a large, you know, heavy used bedding area, stayed out of it completely, went back up there to look for sheds, picked up a shed and saw just crazy amount of buck sign, but it's not somewhere I'm going to want to go in and hunt. Um, it's, it's going to be somewhere where I want to hunt around and try and find wood trails, um, they're really using to get in and out of that area. So that's really where I stick most of my time. And, uh, even going into like a new area, um, with the tracking tool on Onyx, mm -hmm. I'll just turn that baby on and just hike every trail I could find and just stay on deer trails. And then, you know, at the end, go back home, look at it and say, Oh my gosh, like this main trail is going here. That one's going there. They're going to cross there. And you can really understand how deer use an area by that way. Well, that just echoes what you guys did with your buck. Yep. Tried yeah. to find the bench and try to find transition areas from the, the bedding into the feed. That's exactly how I killed my buck. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that, like, this brings it up because, in reality, that's what happened with my buck as well because this past was two week two weekends ago when I went home, got the camera set up in certain areas and kind of in that same general area of where I shot my buck this past year. And as I went... Uh, a little bit further where I didn't scout the previous year, I just found that more of like it flattened out on that bench more and boom, there was this transition or highways of deer trails and everything. And I so saw, I set up a camera on an elevated tree. I threw up just my stick, climbed up, set it down on an angle and put it on video mode. Just that way I could kind of just get a little bit more Intel of, are they coming up? When are they coming down? Are they coming from across? Um, so that's kind of, more of kind of it's cool to hear the the story of how three of us use that in the same same way so my situation um i didn't really know what i actually had in front of me until i got there um so i did hike in based on some e-scouting and uh basically had a walk past um what i staged as their bedding area knowing that i may be in sight i may be even close enough for them to hear me if they were sitting in this bedding area so I actually had to walk by this area and there was the kind of like an overgrown path. So I wasn't being super loud going through there, but actually put a deer up right on the ridge. Cause you can actually see up on the ridge where I suspected that they'd be bedding. Yeah. And wasn't sure if it was a buck or doe or whatever. Uh, got up in there, climbed up this pretty steep cliff, but enough to get 
um, enough to be able to put boots on the ground, get up there without struggling. Um, got up on this bench and then hiked around a little bit, found these, tr- these like little transition trails that were coming out of this bedding. And it was eventually going to work up to, uh, this Oak flat. Um, so now this is beginning of November and, uh, found the stand, got, got up in and a half hour later, um, this buck just comes right out of that area that I identified as the bedding area and just came straight down on top of this bench, 15 yards and turns up and comes right up heading towards the Oak flat. And at 15 yards, I, you know, I smoked him. And then he kind of turned around and went straight back along the path where he could have went down towards back down the bench, down to the Creek. And what I realized, which I didn't realize when I got up there initially, but when we started tracking this deer, um, knowing that he probably didn't go very far, but he was far enough where I didn't hear him crash. We started walking back across this ridge and then noted, now this is, it's dark at this point, but we, we noticed that that buck knew enough not to go down to that creek because right where I was, I was in like this natural pinch point where this ridge just completely dropped off the straight face rock. So basically, you know, within that, hundred yards wide of that, of those trails. Um, he had to come by that point because he couldn't go down the, you know, the, the yeah. rock fall off. So it was, a cause actually when we lost blood, so I hit him high and I hit the opposite shoulder. I knew the deer was dead, but after he bled out so long, um, the, the one penetration hole that I had closed up, basically drained down further yeah. than where the entrance was. So, so he did, um, his blood trail did stop for a little bit. So my initial thing was down to the creek. Let's go down to the creek. And we're looking down to the creek. And that buck knew I can't, you know, it's suicide jumping off that rock cliff. And I really like coming in. I didn't really see it was there. And uh, it was, It now I'm like, I got to hunt that area a little bit more. Because like I said, any of those trails within that 100 yards of width, yeah, they feed and they just funnel right into that point. And you're you're basically going to at least um, have an opportunity at right. anything that comes through there. That's awesome. Well, that's what I think a lot of times putting boots on the ground is important, especially in areas like benches and areas. And you can see why a deer feels safe in that area. You know, if, if a deer, especially a mature buck, doesn't feel safe transitioning from his bed to the feed, then he's not going to be there, you know, especially in the daytime. So walking those trails and, and walk, seeing those benches and see where the sign is and see how he's moving. And then you can kind of understand why he's doing that. You know, if something, you know, would a predator or, or another human would come around, they can escape quickly. And I think when you kind of think that way, when you're walking these trails, you can kind of see a game plan of why that deer's moving that way and then you can kind of plan of attack of you know where you need to be for that hunt yeah and that we kind of even to build on that just knowing kind of not necessarily predicting what deer are going to do and all that stuff but man when in uh there was an early mid-october hunt that i went back home was up in that kind of that same general area and i heard a, a dog dog and a doe a, a buck dog and a doe and I see where she crossed over and she went over to one other side. And actually the other day when I was setting up that camera, as we were walking down, we kicked up a deer and it was actually bedded down where about 15, 20 yards away from where we usually kind of mark some trees, my dad and I and stuff and where we set the trail camera. And that deer went down to that other side 
as well. So my thought process is I'm actually e-scouting. We looked a little bit down on that other side of that ridge on just caddy corner, basically of that side. And hopefully too, like if I'm skunked out on one side, I might just chop over the other because of where they're crossing and kind of predicting of, you know, did they get pushed out from the farmer or from wherever when they come up on that, uh, basically when they climb that mountain. So it's just one of those things where hopefully I could get lucky where if it's not here, maybe just try that side in, in the morning and, uh, or in the afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, Dimitri hit his understanding what that deer wants to do. Yeah. Um, and if I can paint the perfect situation that I want to hunt, it is a, a bench type situation that has feet on top of the mountain. If this bench is, sits in the middle of the ridge or whatever it is, but enough where you have to understand prevailing wind, um, and understand that if a buck does sneak around on this bench, he's out of sight, right, from any predators, but he's also picking up wind. And in early November, he's looking for does, but he might not be looking super, super hard yet. Right. Um, to the point where, in my mind, the, the situation I shot that buck, that buck was able to smell that oak flat from where he was, and that's why he was coming across that bench. And whether there was doe up there or not, I mean, there could have been, there may not have been, but he was able to scent check that entire feeding area without actually anybody seeing him as far as predator goes, unless you were on the opposite side, on, on the back side of that bench, looking at that bench, knowing that that's what they're doing. And you have to be on the downwind side of that of that deer, you know. Yeah. But um, for an animal, you know, a deer's, from a deer's perspective, their ideal situation is being able to scent check and still go undetected. Well, that's what I think the hardest thing going back about trail cameras as well is, you know, hunting public ground. We're not keeping these trail cameras out all year or during the season just because trail cameras are getting stolen and people are moving around. So basically for us, the way we we kind of use trail cameras is more before the season, take an inventory, see if there's a good buck in that area. You know, um, a lot of the times we're not leaving these up and seeing, you know, we get daytime pictures right, or, right. you know, is this buck consistently using this trail? So for us, it's a little more difficult of just trying to see is there bucks in the area and then scouting that area. And then just because bucks are moving, you know, where we're finding them, if you get a velvet picture in the summer, doesn't mean he's going to be there in the fall. So once they break up, especially on these public grounds and there's less feed, they're going to move a little bit more. So basically it's a harder of trying to transition and pattern these deer. And it's just kind of finding out, is there a mature buck in this area? Yeah. What I find fascinating though, Tim is, you know, you know, back at home, like where we're usually hunting and obviously the mountain that I'm hunting when I do go home is private. But when I find where my brother has his stand, it's up on another bench. Right. And then where I was, I was a lot lower. And so just fascinating to me to see that I have a, five different deer on my camera and then on his camera that's nearby his stand there might be one deer that's actually the same deer but then he has a bunch of different bucks it's just a, and they're, they're not that far apart there may be 800 yards you know and, and again you're crossing the north road so they're not on the same side but man you could have three different shooter bucks where they're nice big bucks and just you never see them like I may not see that deer, but he does and vice versa. It's just crazy. Right. I think it really, the, you have to ask your question, what are you trying to get out of your trail cameras? Right. So are you the type of person that puts a trail camera out all year and, you know, come spring you're throwing out a hundred pounds of corn 
and blocks and feed and everything else. And that's not me. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, once that stuff disappears, the deer are gone. So yeah, you may have, you know, a couple bucks starting out in their velvet and developing their antlers and you have a bunch of action on your camera. And then like in Pennsylvania, 30 days, you got to have that stuff out of the woods. Right. And in my mind, if those deer are using that as a food source and you pull that food source out, they have no reason to be there anymore. So that's why most of my um, trail cameras are always based around the trails. Yeah. Um, so I do see, like right now, like I said, I only have one camera out, and we're looking at mid-July at this point. Um, archery season starts first week of October this year, maybe. Yeah, I think. for statewide, um, yeah. For so yeah. I don't foresee there's a benefit for me to put them out any earlier than this. Um, in years past, I did, um, but really, I... I could pick up their summer transition trails, um, you know, by the end of this month, going into August, um, come September, they're shedding velvet, they're changing. I mean, everybody has had bucks on in velvet, and then all of a sudden, September, mid-September rolls around, you can't find this buck anywhere. Yeah. And, and that's that's a real um, challenge, and y- you have to be okay with moving trail cameras. You have to be okay with... I know I have 700 pictures there and I have all the deer activity and I can't find this buck. Okay, so what is that telling you? That buck is not using that trail anymore um, or using that area anymore, regardless of the amount of doe or small buck or anything else. Are you getting anything out of keeping that camera there? Right. Um, especially if your goal is to shoot a mature buck. buck. So come you know September, um, depending on what my cameras are telling me, some might get yanked, some might get moved, some might get doubled up, where if I'm getting a, a consistently getting a good buck to come in, I may put a second or third camera in that same area and just change the trail. And like you said, your um, your brother's uh, stand is 800 yards away and you're getting different deer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's times where I've put a camera on the backside of the tree facing it the opposite way and have picked up different bucks that could be using that area that have never been on right. the camera that I had there. Right. So I think the question is, is, you know, what's your goal? What are you trying to get out of it? And if it really is to kill a mature buck, then make sure that you're getting the intel that you want in order to do that. Right. Because I think, too, even for Dimitri and I coming, like how he just mentioned before, we're we're not leaving those cameras out all year round, you know, and we might throw some down way below the house just to kind of, again, the behind the house type of ordeal is just mainly to get intel of what survived what's still around what's coming up and you know they they transition to a whole different spot so then we do change trail cameras and i'll throw some out and i'll keep a couple out but now you know with some of the cell cams if we i mean i was even thinking because there some of them are coming out with a good price point like a hundred dollars and if you get one or two every couple years we raise them up in the tree where somebody has to have a stick to climb you know, that could be kind of helpful because I know something that you and I talked about is getting a little bit more aggressive just because, you know, it's almost like we, we need to, we just, with the pressure that's around here, um, you know, obviously I have that opportunity when I do go back home and that's the thing too, for me, I'm, I only really hunt back at home where we're in our area, Tim is maybe three days, four days. So it's not like my whole season's that you know i might i might save some of the rut time like even last year when i shot that buck it was two days before i was out here 
in, you know, central PA where I live and, you know, we didn't have good weather. We were on some deer, but nothing really came up. And then it was like, okay, these next two days, that Friday, Saturday, I'm going to go home and I'm going to try my test out there. And that Friday, the eighth, boom, I got lucky and, you know, shot my buck. But I mean, that, I just, you yeah, know, that camera functions differently for yeah. you because you're not going to be checking it. You have, yeah. you have, you upgraded to the cell now, yep. but that's basically an Intel camera. I yep. want to know what bucks are around yep. so I can share with my family, you know, maybe catch a good buck knowing that he's in the area or whatever, but that's not something that you're trying to develop all this time and right. effort into try and pattern deer or figure out what trails they're using. Because, yep. again, most of the time you may be out there for rifle too if it comes yeah, down to it. correct. Um, where at that point it doesn't really matter yeah. as much. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you know, out here you're dealing with your cameras a little more detailed. Yeah. Um, you know, you're trying to process steps in order to try and, uh, you know, not just so much pattern these deer, but to understand what they want to do. Try well, and be a I love ahead. what you said about when you find a deer that's being consistent of even putting another camera in that area to see where, where is this deer coming from just to get a little bit more Intel. Because if you could pick off maybe even that point where you're not setting up in where that camera is, you're going even going a little bit or you find a spot like, man, I think he's coming from this area. You might set up there. That was the buck that I was after last year and having the encounter that I did with him, that's what happened Yeah, was I had this buck and I only had him maybe once every week on the camera, knowing that this buck was using this area just because of the sign that was popping up. So I actually put two more cameras in that area and they couldn't have been more, you know, they were probably within a 50 yard circle. And then I started to pick up mid October. I started to pick up like almost every day I had pictures of this deer in daylight and you know, not even a week later was when I finally, you know, put eyes on this deer. So um, there's definitely advantages to it. That deer could be used in that area, but that deer does not necessarily need to use that trail or come across the camera that you have every single day. Right. And he could walk right behind it and you wouldn't know either way. Yeah. So until they develop the motion sensor camera that spins 360 degrees <laughs> around, the camera, yeah. or around the tree. So well, that's why I think even we use them differently than most people, especially on private ground is you hear people saying is when you're getting daytime pictures, check, check the wind and, and see maybe that buck's going to move with that wind. And at that time each year, but we don't have that, right. you know, because here with the high pressure rifle season and, and the deer, you know, kind of moving in their home ranges as deer kind of, get taken in rifle season and then the next year you know mature deer coming into that area we don't have that same deer year to year to year that's going to hold in that area especially with feed as well being minimal on state game lands so we're kind of using trails and trail cameras as a year to year basis and that year only unless there's some odd reason we have private ground or you know which is basically your home ground you know the mountain um so we're not going to be able to kind of see that pattern year to year and we kind of use it this year intel next year intel and then kind of change on a basis and i think a lot of people that's how they have to use it instead of checking when this year you know was it the consistent the that three years we don't have that time to kind of progressively see that buck grow so every year i actually hunt uh an area that I've hunted now for 10 plus years. And it's interesting to see because, again, a stand that you put in there 10 years ago may not be a good stand anymore. And I specifically have a stand hung in an area that I killed two bucks out of two years in a row. And that stand I just pulled out this year because last year 
and the year before and even the year before, you can just see that these deer, their patterns are changing. Again, now you're talking 10 years different. You're talking a completely different, that gene pool that was initially yep. there with genetics and with the, the same um, uh, traits that the, the deer prior had changed. You did a complete, you know, you have a completely new generation of deer right. seven to 10 years later. So this area where that used to be heavily used is now just done. And it's not like the feed's not there anymore or, or the landscape changed or anything like that. It's just that the deer that are there now are doing something different. Right. And I think too, like to piggyback off again about those cell cameras, why they're going to be important, I think for us this year is because, you know, I, t- I think about the spot that Dimitri shot his buck last year, where if, when he and his dad went out scouting that area, they found good sign and they're like, okay, hey, on Saturday, let's go out to the spot. You throw up a cell camera and during the week you see maybe something, maybe you don't. And it's like, okay, well, if you do, you know, you're going there, you know, mm-hmm. when the, you could kind of piece together more of a game plan and not going blind. I, you know what I mean? I think you hit sign, you hit things. So you knew there were deer back there and you had that good opportunity. You were in the right spot. But I think too, you use a cell camera Man, that's just... I have no experience with them Yeah, yet. I I'm just, like, thinking, loosely. like, yeah. how, how that could really be a game... Like, for us being what we deal with, you know what I mean? Like, how that could really help us. Well, that's what I think as well, too. If if maybe on a Sunday afternoon, if, like, how we did a little bit of scouting, I think if you threw up a cell camera, you're going to have less pressure throughout the week, so you're less likely get, getting it stolen. But right. you're going to get that intel for that week if you should go in there on Saturday yeah. and then if you do go in there, then you can pull it and, and not have a risk of it getting stolen. So I think that would be kind of beneficial too, because you're going to have less people out in the woods during the week. Cause a lot of people are weekend warriors here just yeah. because of work. So, <laughs> um, you know, cause a camera getting stolen is your biggest, biggest problem in this area. Yeah. I just, uh, I'd be nervous at the fact that, you know, my number one buck shows up on a Tuesday morning and I'm, <laughs> I'm walking into a meeting with contractors yeah. and I'm like, okay, yeah. this is terrible. And that's, yeah. that's almost why I haven't bit the bug on the, on the cell cam yet. But, um, there's definitely advantages. Yeah. The biggest advantage is you don't have to go in there. No, the batteries are still on and the camera's still functioning. You have no yeah. reason to have to put some scent in there. So, um, it's helpful for me. Like, again, just using the, you know, I'm too, two hours away from, from home. Absolutely. It's just, it, you know, that, that's the helpful for, for my aspect of things. I'm just, you know, just throwing that out there to hypotheticals. It's just fun. I, to. I wouldn't be opposed to dropping some out West at yeah. some point. No yeah. one got a couple points built up in a couple States, knowing right. the units I want to hunt. Hey, you know, if they'll last a good six, seven months and you yep. can fit in your travel plans to get out there. I think most people are uh, a little worried at the fact that, you know, Essentially, those cell cams can be tracked in one way or another, too. So it kind of prevents some uh, additional theft there. Right. When you see a cell cam, you see a big antenna sticking out of it. <laughs> well, I, I think, too, our, uh, there's a, I saw on Instagram the other day, one of, my, one of our followers, and we go back and forth, Christian, he posted uh, about his trail cameras. He always opens them up and writes, don't be a dick. <laughs> on it so that hopefully no one steals it so hey man we go out west we could just write don't be a dick and hopefully <laughs> they don't take the camera but no nah, i'm man i you know that's just something i'm excited for right now um just getting ready to for our trip you know like you like dimitri's been shooting his bow i've tried to come up as much as i can and 
getting ready and you're getting ready to start shooting more, yeah. you know, so, so it, it's coming frigging quick. Well, let's talk expectations. So this is yep. your first hunt going West. Yep. Um, I'm five plus years deep into it. Um, but seeing as you guys were about to dip your feet in, what's your overall expectation? What's your expectation out of the hunt? And, uh, you know, what are you looking forward to most, I guess? I, th- I think what I'm looking forward to most is just the challenge of, yeah. of being out there and, and seeing the landscape. Uh, I've only been to Colorado once on a vacation and just did a little bit of hiking and the landscape, how beautiful it is. And I think of just trying to get away and, and not have that, you know, we're hoping that we don't run into people, but obviously that might happen. But um, just knowing that a miles away from any civilization and, and, you know, camping out and seeing the stars. I mean, I know hunting is going to be number one priority, but I just going to try to enjoy myself, you know, and expectation wise. I mean, I'm trying to set them a little bit lower, you know, just for I don't get disappointed. I know seeing a lot of these pictures of people we've talked to out west and seeing these monster muleys that they're killing, I, I know that they're going after them year by year. So they have a little bit uh, more veterans and newbies that we are. So, you know, I, I if we just got on some bucks and, and at least had some stocking opportunities and even if just one person got a mule deer i'd be pumped up you know that would make the trip for me if one one out of three got a buck and we could just you know get to that harvest and and help pack it out together and you know do all that i mean that would just make the whole trip for me i wouldn't even have to kill anything and i'd be ecstatic yeah it's it's funny you asked that just because as he's talking i'm trying to the right way to say this without it sounding probably really bad, I guess you could kind of say, but it's not that I want to, I want to test myself kind of like what you said. I want to be able to know that I, you know, you, you, I do this, I could do this, but also look at it as, you know, that experience. I keep, I, I'd rather say uh, it's an experience and a vacation. You know what I mean? Like I just, it's like, for me, it's almost like I've always wanted to go out West use that opportunity and do it while hunting. So it's like, first and foremost, yes, we're hunting, but also it's like that time where I'm only going to get a chance to do this, this one time this year. Maybe if we don't fill a tag and we have that opportunity where we could go back in November and shoot a deer, then that's fine. But man, I just can't wait. Like I don't really have an expectation other than experiencing it. And like Dimitri said, if one of us get a deer, and that's just going to be awesome. Like, and, and be able to, again, like to capture it, whether it's me filming, Dimitri filming, whether you're filming, whatever we're doing, I just want to go through it and just say, I went to Utah this past year chasing mule deer and I survived and I kicked the shit out of myself trying to do it too. And we, I had a blast. That's, that's honestly, that's my expectation. And, you know, we talked to Clint last night uh, over at Sever and we, we were just talking off air about opportunities where, you know, you get a chance to go in and if it's a forker, like if it's a two by two, two and I'm able to put a stock on and learn from it, man, that's just icing on the cake. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, so my, my take on it is a little bit different. Number one, like I've been through hunts where the mental state, especially when you're by yourself, by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you've been along with me, you've witnessed the highs and uh, that I've had these last few years and, and, trying to um, almost be a little more respectful to what has happened, but also just, you know, keep myself calm and, and not go in there with um, super high expectations because I've had a couple years where I just don't think that they can ever get topped. Um, so 
me going into it, um, I'm looking at it as this is Utah. This is a completely different state that I've haven't hunted, but ha- have wanted to hunt um, my entire life. Um, and looking at it as um, we got a bow in hand, we're going to an area we've never stepped foot in. Right. Um, I've hunted mule deer. I'm addicted to mule deer, and I wanted experience the spot and stock velvet mule deer um, experience. And I guess my point of view is I don't care if I get busted on a stock at 400 yards or at six yards. Um, the fact that we're out there doing it and we're experiencing something new and I can be alongside two hunters that are completely love. Yeah. I don't like calling it a sport, but love the idea, um, love the lifestyle of hunting and be able to share that with them. That's, you know, it's, it's awesome, man. I can't, I mean, that just means it, it gets me excited too, because Tim, you hit the nail on the head with saying we've never been there. So my expert, you know, like if I go back home and I see a really nice six point buck walk by, I'm going to let them go. You know what I mean? And I know I'm all for people saying, shoot what you want to shoot and and experience that. And and I am all for that. But for me personally, that's not what I want to shoot. But when I go out West, I've never been there. I've never experienced it. Man, if that opportunity comes, you know, that's my expectation. So that's, that's, what's really cool. It's I've never been there. I've never stepped foot in Utah and I get to sleep under the stars. I get to go chase mule deer. I get to go, you know, like you said, wake up, drink some instant coffee, black rifle coffee, and take a picture of a mountain, and hopefully you go kill a friggin' tank. Yeah. You know, and I get to film it and help cut it up and put 60 pounds on my back and carry it for you. You know, that's just what I'm pumped for. Yeah, I hope you are able to experience that full experience, having one animal on the ground. Because that, to me, once you walk up to that animal, um, you know, you respect what has just yeah. happened in your life. From that moment until you get back to the truck is the best part. Yeah. Um, not so much that the the stress that you may be under, the mental state you may be in, if the hunt isn't going the way you want it to go. Right. But just the fact that you are able to break down that animal, pack it all up, experience it with the people alongside of you, and, and, you know, hike out with 80 pounds on your back. (laughs) And just look back at everything that you've been through to get to that point. Like, when people, when I tell people about my elk hunt, and doing that solo, like the first response is like shock. And then like, to me, it was just something that, that, you know, I love to do this. So I don't foresee it as being something so out of the ordinary to, to drive to Idaho and go hunt by yourself and kill things and throw it on your back and carry it out. And to other people like normal day people, they look at it as something that's just completely like, Bonkers. Bonkers is a great <laughs> word for it. So, Bonkers, yeah. But and now that I look back on it, I'm like, I had the experience of a lifetime. Yeah. And be able to tell that and share that through photos and videos and everything else. And I just want that to be the experience that you guys have. Now, we can't go out there. Or there could be a heat wave. It could be 100 degrees during the day, and we see nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's very possible, and we have to go in there with the understanding that that is possible. Um, and you know, at that point you make the best of what you're given. And I, I think too, and that's where honestly, what helps us of saying, we're going to like having that expectation of saying, I just, we're going to go out and experience it. And we want no expectation. Right. 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 We're just going to take it for what it is. Yep. Um, if the hunt is, if we go in there and you know, we see average 30 deer a day that you're seeing, you could be selective with a buck. You can, you know, have multiple stocking opportunities throughout the day. That is, you know, Best case scenario, worst case scenario, 
We go out there, weather's terrible, no movement. Um, as long as, you know, we have that experience, number one is safety. Yep. You know, make sure that everyone comes off the mountain. Make sure that we're all, you know, comfortable, um, in good health, yep. that sort of thing. That's number one always. Um, and having somebody there with me this time is going to be <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Just but, someone to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> come, come back yeah. to camp and not talk to yourself. Yeah, you ain't kidding. It's, it gets lonely in a tent when you got nothing but, like, a mouse underneath yeah. you trying to, like, dig through your tent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'd think back to the Rogan and Aaron Snyder podcast when he's like, man, those seven days when you're out there by yourself, he's like, you're thinking of everything you've done wrong in you your do. life. <laughs> and I think that's part of it. Like, my job um, – with the benefits that I have with my job on the flip side, it's yeah. very, very stressful at times um, and, and very demanding. So a lot of my vacation time I use to go to areas where I don't have service yeah. for very specific reasons. <laughs> right. Like, cause I do not, you know, there's times where, you know, my family would say, I thought you took a vacation day and say, yeah, but work doesn't stop, you know? So being able to just completely shut out society as a whole, right. especially during these times. And, um, being able to disconnect, um, you really do. You go through personally, the mental state that you get in is completely something that you will never experience. And you really um, look at every aspect of your life and reflect on it. And then on the other side is trying to stay mentally engaged to the hunt. Um, there was one hunt um, that I had uh, the year before I, I, I shot this elk. Um, so I guess two years ago. You shot your uh, mule deer? No, it was in between. Okay. So I ended up taking another deer out there, um, but it wasn't until the last day. But I suffered big time through, like, the mental state. I, I know the amount of hunting that I – the amount of effort and everything else that I put in. And I was doing everything right, in my opinion. And I, every deer that I saw had no rack on it, or it was a spike or a forkhorn or something. And I would see – you know, between 20 and 30 deer and I could just not find a good buck. And I mentally took myself out of it right? completely to the point where backed out and ended up going into a hotel that night, looking at a new area and going into a new area kind of, and then just by that backing out and taking myself out of it for like that 12 to 15 hours. Um, the next day I woke up, I, you know, got back in there for daylight the next day, ended up shooting a deer couple hours into it but just like that mental fallout that i had that year i was like never again will i go through that yeah. and i think it was because it was the year after i shot that big mule deer yeah my expectations going into it were, were high were high yeah and uh it's something that really you know it yeah it takes your ego out of it for sure um because you never know what kind of hunt you're gonna have or what kind of you know, weather conditions, weather conditions is huge. Right. And I think it's going to play huge when we're talking hunting mid August. Yeah. Um, that's going to have a huge um, effect on what type of hunt we have. That, we get a cold front, maybe in good shape, but if we get a, a heat wave, we could be, we could be in trouble. Yeah. We could be in some, some, some shit. <laughs> well, that's what I, I think I'm more fearful of is we have good attitudes and expectations going into it. But I think what I'm afraid of is when we get out there and if things aren't as good or, you know, things are going well, I mean, then you're, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you know, you're tired and we're not seeing deer. So you're mentally not there. And then you think about, you know, how much money you put into this hunt for this year and, you know, and 
you, we go home empty-handed and you're telling your wife that, you know, we didn't even see anything and, and, and the pressure that's put on you there. And I think some of those mental games can happen. Yeah. And I think that's when we're going to start putting pressure on ourselves a little bit more, maybe a couple of days into the hunt. And right. that's what I'm afraid of. And I, I think that it's good that we're going together and we can kind of embrace and, and kind of, you know, pump each other up and, right. and help each other out, you know, because you don't want to lose that experience and, and put that pressure on yourself of, Oh man, we got to at least get something, you know, to make it worthwhile. We spent all this money. We drove all the way out here. So I think we just got to kind of keep telling us ourselves those expectations and, and then just enjoy the moment. Yeah. And I think too, of you've said it, our buddy Justin, who Schaefer, who uh, works on our our mounts and stuff down in uh, Penns Valley area, he said it too to me. And you know, we he and I had a good conversation about how much this changes you when you go out there. You know, when you experience that, it does. It really, uh, it, it really changes the way you look at life. Yeah. And I know that's like really far fetched and sounds kind of quirky. Sure. But, yeah, but it. And it might not be as drastic for others, but it really does. Um, it really does change the way you look at certain things. Um, and like Dimitri, like you said, um, just having that mental state. Excuses are extremely easy <laughs> in the backcountry. They yeah. are like you. You will talk yourself out of anything that I don't want to do this or that mule deer is too far away. Let's not even try for that. Or there's a guy over there. Or, I know. You know. We're not going to get to it before dark, you know, whatever. There's hmm. so many excuses and so many reasons to come off that mountain. You know, I'm worried about, you know, my kids or, you know, I'm worried about my dog or I'm right. worried about work or anything. You know, it could be anything and the excuses come really quick when you're, when you're back there for, especially when you hit day four, day five, day six, and you may not have had an opportunity yet or the hunt wasn't that good yet. Right. But we all know and we've all been in that that mental state at some point, especially hunting whitetail in PA that um, like looking back on this last year, I knew coming, going into November uh, towards the end of October, beginning of November, the rut wasn't really what I expected it to. And then kind of went out on a limb to hunt this area. And within 30 seconds, boom, know, everything changes. Oh, that yeah. buck shows up, he walks right in a range, stands broadside, you stop him, boom, it's over. And then in 30 seconds it's over, but your mindset just does a complete 180. And that's what I think most hunters have to keep in mind that, you know, this could suck for five, six days straight. But that, and then but that one day, and then something can just magically change. You can accidentally walk up on a deer that's bedded down that for some reason does not smell or see or hear you or anything. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. But I, I think to keep that mental state of mind in a positive attitude um, is critical. And I think like you said, having, a couple people there to kind of <laughs> hype someone up. If someone gets down, if someone yeah. had a rough day, someone tumbled down a hill, you know, whatever crap happens out there. Yeah. Man. <laughs> saying. Um, a lot of stuff probably happened to me that I, you know, don't even mention, but uh, I think, uh, you know, looking back um, and looking forward in order to go through with this, like having each other to keep the mental state stable. Yeah. Um, is going to be the most critical part of, uh, a successful one. Yeah, man, I'm it's it's coming quick and we'll be well, I mean, what'd you say beginning of the podcast? It's how many days away? Oh man. July eleventh to what, August fourteenth? Yeah. Yeah. Well fifteenth is 15th. opening day. Yeah. We're gonna get so out there. One actually today, one, two, three, four, five weeks will yeah. be that's crazy. We'll be, we'll be yeah. 
right now at this time, you're looking at mountain time. It'll be noon on our first day. So five weeks from now. So that's uh, not much time at all. No. <laughs> no. Well, and you know, the, the thing too, like even like we said, the first thing that we talked about in the podcast was talking about gear and all that stuff and getting ready. Um, I can't remember what tent are you running or what are you? I'm running a $15 Ozark trail. Tent. That's right. I remember now, <laughs> now I do remember. I really contemplated upgrading it. Yeah. Um, but you know, the thing hasn't leaked on me. Yeah. It's been through the ringer. It's been through all my hunts out West and I'm just, you know, I'll run it until it, until it breaks. Is it a one person? It's a one person, which yeah. I was really looking into a two person only because on a, less than ideal weather condition night where you don't want to leave anything out for yeah. either condensation or rain or dew or anything. Um, I have to bring it in the tent with me and, um, you know, it, it just, it gets tight. It yeah. gets tight between having your pack, your weapon and your, uh, and yourself in the, in the one person. So, so I did look into two person tents, but, um, financially I just, yeah. you know, if I can get a buy with it, it's I'm right. not going to. bringing it, uh, yeah, you had me beat. I remember yeah. we talked about yeah. this. You had me beat. You had like an eight dollars. <laughs> it's yeah. like a. It was well. It's not a Bed Bath Beyond brand, but it's uh, <laughs> sold at Bed Bath. It's a Coleman. It's a three person. I I actually might not bring it. Um, just packing it around and practicing with some of my gear. Yeah. It might be too big and I'm too heavy. Um, so another friend of ours actually has. I think it might actually be a two-person tent but it's a lot smaller and compact and he might let me borrow it um just for weight of the pack yeah. and i think it's going to be beneficial just because i've been lugging that thing when i'm practicing packing and one it's too wide when you put it kind of long ways across your back and then it's not going to fit in my pack so unless i can kind of take it out and kind of reposition it a little bit um just because it is a little bit bigger which would be nice because we could even put you know, everyone's stuff, gear yeah. in there and, and still have lots of room because it's a three person. Um, but I just don't think it's going to be feasible for what we're going to be doing now that I'm packing it around a little bit. So might transition that a, a little bit as well. Yeah, I've had that Slumberjack brand. Okay. Um, I hit a crazy deal. Uh, you know, I'm part of that Leo adventure. So anybody that works in, you know, public service or anything like that it, it's a great opportunity you pay 25 dollars a year there's great brands with it so i grabbed this slumberjack one person tent uh packs down okay i would say uh for a one person tent i wish it was a little bit smaller um as far as like when it when it's packed down but like you said i'd set it up one night in the yard just when it was raining i saw it and i'm like you know what this could be a good test that way i know uh, and then I took it out on a camping trip or two just to see how it does. And it did well. So it's, it's hard for me to want to transition for it because it's not broke. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I, tr I tried the hammock thing on my first trip out there and I just, I'm a, I'm a stomach sleeper Yeah, and the, tough. the hammock just doesn't work for me. Um, I attempted that. I, I thought about going, just running like a, a, a tarp with a teepee tarp and you know, you're trekking poles and, and doing that very minimalist. But, you know, there's something about just closing the, closing the door on the tent that gives yeah. another different sense of comfort or even a sense of, you know, essentially being back home a little bit to, right. to make it feel like you're sleeping in something that that's a little comforting. But um, how about, uh, how about packs? Running the XO. So we had Mark on a little bit ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, talking about some XO gear and some of his, kind of expertise when it comes to hunting the back country and 
uh, you know, make sure you go check out his podcast over, over there of, of hunting the back country with, with he and Steve from EXO. But, uh, running that pack, I, I have the, you know, originally when I bought it, my plan was to buy the day pack. So that way I could run it during whitetail season and then also have this pack, uh, for, for out West trips. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, they're expensive, they're not cheap. So how could I get a, a two for one basically of, of using that? So running the XO K3 frame, frame, uh, day pack is what I have. And then I bought the 4,800 bag to go with it. So I, so far, man, I, I love it. It's, uh, all the right compartments after listening to, I think it was their pot, one of their podcasts last week. And Steve kind of talked about <laughs> some individual writing in and saying, Hey, I looked at your packs and, uh, I don't see a lot of zippers or a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pockets. And, you know, and Steve was so nice and basically responded back to saying, well, you know, I want to know where everything is. So I don't want to have a million zippers. Um, and then on top of it, it gives it that slim feel look. So there, you're not having weight distributed in different parts of the pack. So man, I, I couldn't be happier with it. I, f- I feel comfortable. I'm still adjusting to where it fits me. I, it feels comfortable. Um, but I think there could be little minor adjustments where once I have a little bit, may- maybe when I get to like I need to throw in like my sandbag that I have at home, like that I exercise with that's like 80 pounds and throw that in there and see how it fe- that feels. Cause if we do, one of us get lucky from carrying out some, some meat and then that's where I, I want to test that. But man, I, I couldn't be more happy with, with my pack setup. And that's it too. I mean, Josh Kirshner talked about it. if I could give any advice, it's that, you know, he skimped out on, on packs when he first started getting into it. But then after that, he's, he kind of, he saw the difference. Yeah, I've upgraded over the past few years, and now I'm running the Kuyu Icon Pro Pack, um, which um, at the time, again, like you yeah. talked about the pockets, Kuyu offers a lot of pockets, um, more so than I've seen in any other pack company at this point for, you know, backcountry packs. Um, and it's one of the lightest on the market. Um, and then I was actually really intrigued, like you said, about the pack, ex- the exchangeable packs. Yeah. Um, so I do have several packs that I can exchange and I can run one suspension system frame or no frame and then also interchange the packs. So for going out west, it's typically my 5200 for anything whitetail wise back here. Or any other states, it's typically anywhere between eight, an 1850 or a 3200. Right. So it all depends because th- there's times where I've I've packed a deer out of new york uh, with with an 1850 (laughs) right you know you get the meat in between the pack and the frame and it functions the same way so but it's really having that one full pack system and i just upgraded they kuyu came out with a new suspension system that will basically adapt to any type of uh previous pack system all the way back to the icon i believe so i upgraded the suspension system because that that's where i felt that they were the weakest on Mm-hmm. They did not have the comfort in the suspension like some of the other pack companies offer. And that's been a world of difference. Like we just hiked now and I'm running like, I don't know, anywhere between 40 to 45 pounds. And as long as you have that weight distributed properly, it rides great. And I've really had no issues. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard the thing where, you know, Kuyu makes clothes. They don't make packs. And uh, I, I hear you. I, I heard the opposite. I've heard they make better packs than they make. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I run both. Yeah, so a series yeah. of both, actually. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm never, I, I never completely adapted to like one brand. So right. certain things that I'll, I'll try. I mean, whatever I like works. It. Exactly. So, so that's what I'll be running for a pack. I think Dimitri, you, 
you've got a, a homegrown, you got a little bit of a <laughs> sentimental value. Well, that's what my, my dad bought this. Well, it was funny because I was telling my dad about the trip and saying I have to buy a backpack. And he goes, oh, I, I bought this military backpack, you know, and it has a frame to it. And I was like, really? You know, not expecting much. And and I said, well, let me look at it. And he, he brought it down. He got it at a pawn shop for like 90 bucks. And, and I looked at it. And I mean, it's it has, a, has an internal frame. I mean, it has the same frame as a lot of these high-end yeah. backpacks, you know. And, and I think a lot of the, the backpacks now are tailored from the military backpacks. I mean, you see Sika, you know, a lot. You look at their bino harness is tailored now to a lot of the military stuff. And Mystery it, Ranch, uh they provide it basically they started as you know providing if it wasn't military as first responders and everything mm-hmm. else so yeah there is a design that's completely relatable yeah. to yep. what you're dealt with in military and first respondents yeah and i think you know i mean the back pack i mean looks great as far as a lot of the western style packs that are out there on the market but you know there's some variations where this one doesn't have as many pockets as, as some of them and, and adaptability as far as hauling meat out but i mean it's it's going to work for my first one and you know i put stuff in it and put weight into it and it works great for me yep um you know, especially for this first trip when we're putting a lot of money into our gear. But, you know, I, I, th- I think it's going to work out pretty well for me. Plus, you have a much taller frame than both me and Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, and that's the thing, too. When he actually showed me it, I'm like, Dimitri, that's perfect. Like, you know, even if there's really no extra weight compared to what I'm running compared to what he's running. It's just I that I mean, he hit the jackpot with that. I agree. And I think it, you know, a lot of. Uh, people that want to get into hunting west they really get psyched out when you start looking at oh well i need this and i need that and the price right point for this so if there's ways that you can cut you know cut some budget out of that it's going to make it more uh pleasable to to get out there to be able to do it so well um, i i even saw someone posted on uh one of the facebook groups i don't know if it was running i think it was the running gun and somebody asked hey going out my first trip or want to do my first trip out West for obviously, so it'd be either for next year or even this year, if they want to do over the counter, they're like, how much is it? You know, how much does it look like? And again, I've, I was in this trap of mm-hmm. before and uh, you know, people were like six grand, blah, 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 blah. Like depending on what you want to do and all that stuff. And you know, for us, if you're, if we already had like Dimitri and I, we already had a lot of the gear. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, we had a lot of the gear. There were some things, yes, that we had to buy, knick-knack things, and it really wasn't that much. When I when I did a spreadsheet and I had to buy all the things that I, quote-unquote, needed, right, some things I just wanted. Um, yeah. I you think know, I gave you a bare bones. Yeah, like, yeah, you gave me, yeah, you guys, you, you know, Tim, you supplied us with a nice spreadsheet, and it's like, okay, check, 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 check. I have all this stuff. When you run it and then I, I price things out, I'm like, including tags, $700. Like if I really wanted to get like down to the nitty gritty of things that were must haves and not just things I just wanted, it was maybe $700. And that's including money for gas. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, when people were saying five grand and I think this individual did not have, I think he was coming in just bare bones. Like I have a bow, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pure whitetail hunter. So like, yes, when you look at base, base layers, you look at certain gear, that, that clothing that you need, your backpack. But again, the backpack that I'm using, um, I mean, we were just right at, uh, less than a hundred bucks. So 
So now let's let's transition to a little bit about food. Now, Tim, I know you were. What was your setup? I know weren't you dehydrating food or what were you doing? Yeah. So uh, first couple of years, I ran Mountain House, and yeah. <laughs> it's funny actually. The first year I went to Colorado, um, I went with one of my buddies. Uh, I'm good, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to shoot my bow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I showed up with like two like huge bags of deer jerky i'm just like i'm just gonna live off deer jerky for like four <laughs> <days>. <laughs> right so sorry maxim we ended up having like you know a 28 to 30 hour drive well i i had like a to-go bag of deer jerky for the way and just housed it the whole way to colorado so by the time i got there i was sick of it so it was like <laughs> bartering with him i was like yeah i'll give you like a pound of beef jerky if you give me a, like a mountain house yeah so that's how we kind of we got through it so I actually got addicted to oatmeal when I was out there, so I don't eat it all year. But usually at the end of the night, I'll usually make oatmeal. So that's uh, that's one of the things I pack. But like for my main meals, um, I started dehydrating food. So usually throughout the year, like right around now, if I make like a chili or something, we'll make a little extra and then we'll dehydrate it and uh, pack some of that away. And I usually alternate every other day for that so what do you need to dehydrate that stuff it's actually not as difficult as you think so um so basically you got a dehydrator and some parchment paper you can almost dehydrate everything the thing that you have to watch is what rehydrates well and what doesn't ground meat hydrates great um something like that's cut like a steak that's not going to dehydrate because that dries out like jerky it pulls all the water out pours clothes you can't Mm -hmm. get it actually to rejuvenate the ground meat is so porous that you can actually just by throwing it in boiling water, it'll rehydrate nicely. So anything like I usually stick to like a ground meat based um, meal or a stew um, and they rehydrate really, really good. But really all it takes is, you know, you can make it here, Dimitri, for your wife and and child later and take whatever's left, throw it, spread it out in parchment paper, pretty thin, as thin as you can get it on a tray dehydrate it watch it make sure it dries out completely um where it almost becomes like brittle where you could break it smash it up in your hand stick it in a vacuum seal seal it up you can open that up in the middle of utah throw it in some boiling water for 10 minutes and it literally tastes just like you had it in your house that's crazy so there's a good alternative there so um depending on what um what I do, sometimes I'll use like a prepackaged meal for the other days, or sometimes I'll make a second meal, um, like a stew. Right now, are you running, because I've seen, I mean, obviously, this is something where you look up tons of different things of what people do. And obviously, there's calorie counters, there's all this different type of stuff. And I know Kyle with uh, Valley to Peak Nutrition, uh, we're, we're going to talk to him a little bit about some getting your, make sure you're hitting your calories and all that type of stuff. And that, I know that's a big thing. Do you break it down into like freezer bags of like, this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? So I did. And then last year I stopped. Okay. So years prior, I used to basically get like a gallon Ziploc and I'd stick all my food in there for the day. Right. And then I'd make myself eat that food that I had packaged for that day because I had it down calories per ounce, everything else. So now I... I know I'm going to have dinner, right? And then for my lunches, I've changed my lunch idea a little bit um, where to the point where I'm, I don't want to break out my stove and have to cook something for lunch. Um, so I did find, and I, they don't really sell them around here, but I did find them out west where they sell like these little Sara Lee bagels. Okay. They're like they pack really small and a jar of peanut butter, 
and that's like that's typically like my like those to go peanut butter things yeah, yeah yeah either that or i just get a can and yeah you suck up you, you eat the pound whatever. or whatever and carry yeah. it around but that that jar of peanut butter lasts you for a lunch every day you know right. plus, man plus a plus a snack yeah yeah, yeah man, up. <laughs> man up for a can of peanut um, butter so then any snacks that i do i watch my calories on the calories per ounce on the snacks 125 is ideal i usually won't get a snack that's anything that, that's less than one 100 calories per ounce okay so that's what i really do for snack wise but i haven't like last year for my elk hunt i only made it into like day four right. i shot the elk on day two um so I was just kind of snacking the whole time and um, just having my meals. So I wasn't really as watching myself because I knew I'd have enough food to cover right. myself because I brought like seven days worth. Um, so I wasn't, I, I don't really know how my experience went without having the package, the prepackage for it. the full day. Um, but I've done it a, quite a few times now where I know what I need to eat in order to get what I need. So I average like a pound and a half a day. Some people say you need two pounds, but it all depends. Um, I like don't drink a lot of water, which is terrible. Um, but it actually, I feel like I'm training for the West. Cause like <laughs> then when my body's like, Oh, you're not getting any water. That's pretty normal. We survive off of very little water in your right. body all the time. So, um, it's something I've been trying to change in my personal habit. Yeah. Um, but I know out there I force myself to drink it and then, uh, I for I try and force myself to to eat. So right, yeah. I was kind of for me. I was kind of going off of I'm going to make little Ziploc bags as as far as oatmeal is concerned. I'll make that with my coffee in the morning, and then uh, for lunch, man. I I'm I, I right now currently I'm a big breakfast eater, and then I have a big dinner, and and like that stuff in between is kind of like I'm picking. That's and for me, it's just been like one of those. I mean, I, I've tried everything. I've tried keto. I've tried friggin' uh, just uh, just everything you know you could think of uh, as far as like changing your nutrition style. But so my my plan was going to go with if I could have some oatmeal and uh, coffee in the morning, and then for lunch, kind of have like a uh, like a nut butter and a bagel. And then maybe some gummy bears, something along those lines. And then for dinner, I know Peak Refuel, um, I have a couple of their products. So some packaged dehydrated meals already. So I mean, and that's I have enough to last us as far as our trip is concerned. But I, I was also going to toy around with doing some hopefully dehydrating some of my own meals as well. So when you eat all this stuff that like yeah. most of the, everything that you'll find in my bag, I don't eat throughout the year which is kind of like crazy right. to think of, but then I'm not sick of it. Yeah. Like even chili, like I love chili, but I don't eat it a whole lot. Like in the winter months, like after my hunt and stuff. Right. But like I've had it, I haven't had it in seven months. So like when I have it out there, I'm like not getting sick of it, eating it every other day. But the thing I, I learned to do was to just forget the weight, forget the calories, forget everything. And just take that one snack that you absolutely love. Yeah. That maybe you haven't had since your childhood, or maybe you, like, like I'm a candy yeah, nut. Junkie, I love candy yeah. bars. <laughs> so, like, the last two years I've taken that snack that, like, at the end of the night you can sit there and be like, oh, yeah, I can enjoy this. And it was a – last year was a fruit roll-up. <laughs> so, like – or, no, I'm sorry, a fruit by the foot. There you so, go. there I am, like, in the middle of Idaho, like, rolling this thing out like yeah. a little kid. It's, like, hanging three feet from my from my mouth. But, like, that's what I – like, yeah. I looked forward to that at the end of the night yeah. just, just to have that because, like – 
because you're not eating like I, I stay away from like the protein bars and all that because like right. I, I get my protein through wild game and right. my diet through that. So I don't do that so much throughout the day. But um, having that like that cheat meal yeah. more or less yeah. has been like that's awesome. definitely ideal. <laughs> Well, that's what uh, I'm. I got some freeze dried food already. Uh, backpackers pantry, just because I had a good discount code for that, which is going to be my dinners for the night. I kind of got two different things. I think chicken alfredo, and I think the other one's mashed potatoes and beef gravy. Mm. I think um, that's going to be my dinner. I'm actually not a big breakfast or lunch guy. I mean, I'm. <laughs> I'm actually kind of odd. I, I don't eat breakfast. I drink a cup of coffee throughout the day. And I'm lucky if I have like a granola bar and maybe a sandwich for lunch. Um, especially when I'm hunting too, I also don't eat lunch much either. I'm yeah. usually in the woods and I drink a cup of coffee maybe in the morning and then I'm hunting till dinner time. And that's basically my day. As I far could as I could attest to that <laughs> for turkey season this past year, we're, we're walking all over and it hit like lunchtime and I'm like, I am starving. I'm like, where's my apple? And I'm like, having eaten this huge apple and <laughs> just keeps going. I'm like, how the hell does he still have energy to keep going? And I needed that one snack. So that's funny. I think lunch is probably the meal that I probably eat the most yeah. at mo- some days you yeah. know, for the, for the most part. And, uh, if, my schedule allows for it, but so it'll be funny to watch all three, <laughs> all three of us. Yeah, well, that's what yeah. I, I think. I'll need a snack just because I'll need those calories being on the mountain, you know. But uh, I think you know, as far as meal planning, as long as I have something, I'll be able to get well, through. Here's here's the one question I do have, and maybe you can help us out with it, Tim. Is there's no way you could train, get ready for that different elevation at different altitude? And I was thinking about this, you know, to depending on like the unit that we have, we may not, and we talked about this with Clint, we may not have to go back 10 miles, obviously, right? Um, we're going to try to get away from, from people and the best that we can. What does that look like in transition to, you know, as far as does that play any role into what you're packing as far as food is like, because that's just brand new to me. It hasn't. And uh, in the past, I know... Um, Colorado, I hunted over 10,000 feet all the way up to 12. Um, so there's an acclimation point and then my buddy has felt the altitude sickness. I don't, mm-hmm. um, I never have. Um, we also have stayed like a night in Denver or something where you're sitting at, you know, right. between five and six. So you spend a night there and your body gets acclimated to it. But knowing that we're going to be driving from point A home, point B trailhead, right? Hiking right in front, right to, you know, between nine, 10,000 feet. Um, there could be some, some altitude changes that will take, you know, a toll on our body. Right. And it all depends. People, everybody's different. Um, I have noticed that through putting your body through um, extenuating circumstances, like packing that elk out and hiking for the full entire day, um, it's different you know we might be sitting for a couple hours and glassing that sort of thing but when you put your body through much more than it's ever been (laughs) a intended for and b that it's ever been before um your body kind of i don't want to say shuts down but like i don't crave food when i'm out there like i don't I don't get to like one and two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to eat. Right. Like I've been hiking all day. So like my body's just like, 
you're going off of whatever energy you have yeah, now. Right. And it kind of like puts itself in cruise control to the point where I force myself to eat because I know physically and from a nutrition standpoint, my body is suffering and I need to put those calories in, even though my body's not technically telling me to do that. Right. Um, so I force myself to eat quite a bit when I'm out there, um, which helped by putting the the bags, separating them by day. Right. Knowing that I need to eat this bag of food before I go to bed. Yeah. Um, so as far as like the altitude plays into a factor, I think is based on the way your body's going to accept it. Um, but you will notice that like, at least for me, even though I'm, I'm, I'm throwing all my energy out there on the mountain, I'm not getting the rebound back from my body saying you better eat something. Right. I'm excited. I mean, that's just, cause that's the one thing that I, I'd never, I'd never been on a cruise ship. So I can't say like, Oh, I got seasick or anything like that. So that's the one thing where, I mean, I know mountain ops even makes a product where if you take it, I think a week prior to you go out, you could adjust a little bit to that, like get ready for that. And, and I know supplement companies, but I, I don't know how much that would actually work or whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I've never, I've honestly never yeah. dealt with the you issue. Just go. I, but yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, the air, you can feel it in the air that the air is thinner, but I've never uh, experienced that. And maybe I'm jinxing myself we now went, and we're going to get up there <laughs> well, and I'm going to be short of breath. I'm, 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 I'm trying to think when I was 22, we went to Vegas and, uh, you know, that was kind of like my first trip out West probably has nothing to do with elevation increase, but yeah. you even remember what happened. In it? <laughs> <laughs> he knows. He yeah. Just can't yeah. yeah. He just can't say it. Um, you know, I just, uh, I felt pretty good. So, I mean, just, I don't know. I, I, I think 13 be, beers deep. Yeah. You felt pretty good. <laughs> felt pretty good. You're ripping some vodka shots. I felt pretty good. But no, I, I, so that's, that's the, if there's only one concern is just making sure the food is, as I have enough. That's my main thing. I've actually like the, the last few hunts that I've been on out there. Um, I've always tossed back. Do I carry all my food now? Right. Do I, carry all of it halfway and drop it off, drop a waypoint, right. hang it in the tree. Right. And I was going to say, do you, do you hang? Cause I know like Josh, when we had Josh on a couple months ago, he talked about, he has like a food bag that he hangs because he's like, I don't want mice getting in it and all that type of stuff. I hang it every night. Do you? So last year I ran all my food in my lid okay. of my pack. So I was able to just disconnect the lid, yep. throw some paracord on it, whip it over a branch and, you know, just suspend it, keep the mice out of it. If something really wants to get to it, they'll get to it. Yeah, um, good for them. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then it's Plan B. Yeah, um, but I, I I won't sleep with it in the tent um, yeah. for obvious reasons. Um, but <laughs> it seems every year I've been out. The, it's, I've been going out west. It's like come day four, I'm back at the truck for one reason or another. Either I'm changing spots or I put something down and. I hiked around with like four extra days of food. Right. So um, I have jostled around the uh, the thought of, you know, do I take four days in? Do I take our whole hunt in? Do I take two days in? Like depending on what to do. But right. when you look back at it, um, depending on what your pack weight is, like you're running a pound and a half to two pounds of food a day. If we're only doing, we're talking probably a five-day hunt. Right. So it, it, and in this situation, it's probably not as critical. My elk hunt, I was looking at seven days of hunting with the possibility of staying nine. 
that situation. I probably, I probably, looking back on it now, I probably should have dumped that food. (laughs) I probably should have taken a day's worth of food and been done with it, but um, it's not going to happen that way every time. So, um, what else? Man, I, arrow setup, we're talking about, you know, our bows for what we're going into. And uh, I think clothing wise, we'll, we'll be pretty set. I mean, you've been doing it for quite a few years now. So you, I feel like you're probably dead red on what you what you're bringing yeah i i think i'm good with what i'm bringing but i think uh we're going to experience something that i haven't before so because again we're going to be dealing with warmer weather that i'm used to because i hunted you know mostly september okay we're talking a couple weeks earlier um we're talking a somewhat warmer climate you know i've been dealing most mostly up north from where we'll be now um so i do have uh i do have some very warm weather clothes right um i'll probably run i'll probably have base layers with me and i'll I'll run two sets of pants um and i'll pretty much switch those every day depending um just on moisture right um something like this i'll, I'll only run two pairs of socks i may take an extra pair of underwear as gross as that sounds but um <laughs> you know you can, always, <laughs> you can always flip them inside out yeah but it all comes down to pack weight and what you want to do. Like sometimes you get out there and you have all these. And here know, we are talking about peanut butter man up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Some yeah. of it just like as much as changing your under, underwear can just be a pain in the ass. Yeah. I mean, it, it really can in certain, certain situations. So, um, I may bring an extra pair and then, uh, I'll probably run, uh, I'll probably run a base layer top with, um, some type of long sleeves top and then uh, like not merino base but synthetic and then I'll have I'll have a jacket of some sort probably I have a Kuyu guy jacket I'll probably run that as being my warm weather are you bringing any ring gear um just a rain jacket yeah so running those two pairs of pants is going to prevent me from having to bring a, a rain pant right and my thought is if we get rained on for a day swap pants right the other pant can dry while we're hunting that sort of thing whether it gets hung up or you hang it off the back of your pack or or do something but um i'm pretty minimalist i used to not be i i mean first time doing this i'm like oh my god i need four pairs of sho- socks i need underwear for every day and then you get out there you get back to camp it's like i'm not changing my underwear <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i for me i feel like what's been nice about using the first light gear a lot of the whitetail stuff that I already have transitions into for some of the things out West. And, uh, uh, by this point in time, hopefully my white or my Western style hunting video that I'll, I'll, I'm recording will be out by this point in time. But regardless, I mean, I got two pairs of pants. I got a guide light pants from, from first light and the obsidian pants that I wore during whitetail season, turkey season, they dry quick. Uh, the guide light are a little bit more different material. They're really light, but then I'm going the wick hoodie, which is basically this t-shirt material. So it's really light dries quick. And, uh, the, uh, I'll bring the Uncompotterade 2.0, which probably will be a little too warm, but if just in case we run into some freak weather, and it what's really nice, it packs up into a little pillow. So if we're glassing and time to take a little nap, I can have that for, for a pillow. But, I mean, honestly, other than that, it's the Wick hoodie, the... Uh, and I'll bring... It's it's, it's their QZ Ridgeline. It's, it's almost just like a three-quarter length uh, pullover, but it's super, super light, and if... 
you know, that's just kind of, that might even be overdoing it. So we're going to be dealing with temperature swings out here. Yeah. So, you know, we're probably looking at 40s low, 70s high, maybe yeah. 80s if we have a heat wave come through. Um, so I think that kind of, in my mind, I'm running two outfits. Yep. I'm running something that's going to withstand 40 degree weather, and I'm running something that's going to be comfortable in 70s. Yep. Um, so, you know, I probably won't have more than two articles for tops or bottoms and maybe a base layer. Yeah. Um, base layer typically for sleeping. I like getting in my base layer, jumping in my sleeping bag. I'm able to take all the other clothes that I'm going to wear the next day, stuff them in the sleeping bag. So when I wake up, they're warm. I'm not, you know, depending on if it gets in, if it gets in the forties and you had your clothes in your pack, it could be a brutal first hour yeah. and a half of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of the day. Um, so I usually stuff those in my pack and then, uh, like I said, I just like having an extra top and bottom per se. If you get rain, you can have those, you know, you don't want to put wet clothes on. There's nothing right. worse than putting wet clothes on. So well, that's, what's awesome about the, I mean, that's what, again, I, I know we're, we're partnered with first light, but that's the beauty of their Marina wool. I mean, you saw, we hiked in the shirt and it's completely bone dry. doesn't smell. It dries really, really quick, quick. So that's what I'll probably even wear like this shirt hiking in depending on what time of the hell we get there and all that stuff. But I mean, that's, that's my goal is kind of like you said, running two tops, maybe having something else just in case. And then, uh, same thing for the bottoms. Yeah. Hiking in, I'm, I'm usually bare bones. I'm usually yeah. no base layers, yeah. um, light pair of pants, yeah. light shirt. Um, I've actually, and then like I mentioned before, I usually bring an extra pair of what I call camp shoes. Yeah. Something to get you out of the shoes that you've been wearing all day. You know, I run the Solomons, um, little hikers, these XA pros, I think they are. Um, but to take them off at the end of the day and slip something comfortable on is, is money. One, yeah, it's yeah. great. That's Dimitri will be rocking some first light gear coming up. Yeah. Putting in the order today. So yeah, it's gonna be awesome. There you go. <laughs> Set to go. I need to make my investment in my first piece. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, this is kind of trying to think, is there anything else? As far as getting ready for the trip? Uh, water filtration is the other big one. Yeah. Um, I usually run, uh, in the past I've ran two 32-ounce bags um, of dirty water and then just run a water bottle, which is like 22 or 24 ounces. Yeah. And I'll just filter into that water bottle. I'll use that for drinking, and then I'll use that for cooking as well. Um, and then this way I can keep them filled anytime I come across water. So this is going to be a, an interesting situation because – both Colorado and Idaho, you know, you were hunting these drainages that had cricks at the base of them. Um, not a whole lot of elevation. You got to change to get to water. Right. And, you know, water was pretty prevalent. So it wasn't like you have to carry a lot with you. Um, so this year I am going to pack a, a three liter bladder with me just on the off chance that we may not, depending on where we have to be elevation wise, we may not have water, you know, so abundant right and i don't want to be dropping down a thousand feet at the end of the night so if we can hit that fill up three liters deal with the you know 10 pounds that it's going to weigh and and get back up on the mountain yeah you know it is what it is but i don't i don't want to be stressed for water put it that way yeah 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 i think it's time to shoot our bows i'm down yeah let's go the sun's out now so the rain's done yeah let's get after it yeah well, hey, I hope you enjoy it. By this point in time, when this one airs, we'll be, I would say, about a week away. 
maybe a week away. Maybe, heck, this might even air the one we were driving out there. So it'll be some fun stuff. We'll, maybe we'll, uh, obviously, we won't be recording while we're there, but we'll do a recap on the hunt as well. And then by that point in time, it's whitetails, which is something the three of us are very, very passionate about. It's the beginning of, the, of this even podcast talking about it. So, man, it's going to be a hell of a time. Hopefully, Can't wait, man. Yeah, no, hopefully we have some <laughs> success and we'll have, we'll be uh, talking up about one of our um, two, three, it don't matter, some, some uh, mule deer stories when we get back. So, Hey, everybody appreciate it. You uh, listen in, make sure you check out, check out Tim until next time. Antler up. Well, that wraps up the latest episode of the Antler Up podcast. And this one was myself, Tim, and Dimitri talking about our hunt, gearing up for what where we're at right now, actually, as well as, uh, man, some whitetail talk. I th- hopefully, this was a fun one. This was just a straight-up BS session. Uh, we enjoyed having that one. It was really cool to do in person as well. And, uh, man, I'm really excited to get back to uh, get back on the hit-the-ground running for, for the 2020 whitetail season. And, uh, hey, keep sent- shooting them straight. Check those trail cameras. Until next time, antler up.